Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Oh dear, need a bit of cheering up. There we go. Well, very good morning to you. We are continuing our series through uh, Luke's Gospel. And today we're looking at the interesting subject of what does Luke's Gospel have to say about the whole area of the devil and demons? Uh, Now, I think I probably need to say a couple of things before we delve into the passage. Firstly, I realise there may be some people in this room, certainly those that we uh, know and love, neighbours, colleagues, friends, who uh, already think it's far-fetched that we believe uh, in God and Jesus, let alone throwing in a devil and demons. Uh, Well, two things to say on that. Firstly, um, if you look actually at what we believe, uh, it's already pretty bonkers. Uh, We believe um, that God came in human form in the person of Jesus, blind eyes opening, Uh, Deaf ears hearing, food being miraculously multiplied to thousands of people, healings and miracles through church history, bodily resurrection of Jesus, him ascending into heaven, eternal life with God in heaven in the future. I mean, what we believe is already bonkers. Throwing in a devil and demons doesn't make anything any more crazy than it already is. People already think we're mad. Secondly, um, though we might feel we live in a kind of post-Christian, secular, atheistic age, Actually, there is um, a growing openness to the transcendent and supernatural in the culture in which we live. In fact, all the sociological research says that new atheism is dead, and by that I mean the kind of angry atheism caricatured by Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. Uh, uh, Atheism itself is on the wane, and there's just a growing openness to the transcendent and the supernatural. Uh, I came across an article in The Independent earlier this year uh, with a number of interesting stats I'm going to read to you, and these will come up on the screen one by one uh, as I read them. Uh, 70% of people in the UK believe there are things in life and the world that science and rational thought cannot explain. Over 50% of people believe in life after death. That one surprised me. Uh, Of those who believe in the supernatural, 52% believe because of something they have personally experienced. So people feel like they're tapping into the supernatural the whole time. Uh, 22% of people, that's nearly a quarter, have felt a presence in their home. Top beliefs in the UK include belief in ghosts, UFOs, and the paranormal. Uh, Londoners, this one was interesting, uh, they mark themselves as being the most susceptible to the supernatural and the most spiritual in the whole of the UK. And of everyone in the UK, Londoners were most likely to admit they believe in demons, zombies, and that Elvis is still alive. Um, Anyone here believe Elvis is still alive? Welcome team, escort them from the building please. Uh, We don't want them here. the point is, um, in our seemingly rational scientific age, like belief in this area actually remains really high. So what does the Bible have to say? Well, let's read Luke chapter 11 together, verse 14 through to 26. Words are on the screen for you to follow along. Here's what Luke writes. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd were amazed. But some said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim I drive out demons by Beelzebul. But if I do that, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Okay, what do we learn about the devil and demons here? Well, there's actually four points I want to walk us through. But the fourth one is the important one. And that's what I think is almost like a God word for us as a community. But I need to go through the other three to get there. Uh, first uh, point, someone obviously, is this. What do we learn? Firstly, Satan exists and he has a kingdom. Satan exists and he has a kingdom. In other words, point one is, guys, this stuff is real. Uh, Jesus leaves no room for ambiguity here. The devil is real. He may not have horns and a forked tail, but he's very, very real. He's a fallen angel. Uh, in the previous chapter in Luke 10, um, Jesus actually says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Satan's real, he's a fallen angel, and his domain or kingdom is in this world. A few verses here coming up on the screen. Uh, John 12, Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. Paul calls him the same, 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world. 1 John 5 says, the whole world is in the power of the evil one. Uh, now just to clarify what this means, what this does not mean is Satan is literally ruling over the whole earth. Uh, the Bible often uses the phrase the world or this world to refer to the present evil system of opposition against God. Now that does exist on the earth, but we're talking about the supernatural rather than the natural. So Satan has a kingdom, it's on the earth, but it's a kingdom, a supernatural kingdom of opposition against God. And it's in that kingdom that Satan has authority. A couple of other things to say on this. Firstly, Satan's power is limited. Now we'll look at this uh, a bit later on. Uh, but earlier on in Luke 4, we re read this supernatural encounter between Jesus and Satan in the wilderness. Satan is tempting Jesus. And one of the things Satan does is he shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world. And he says this, I will give you their authority and splendor for it has been given to me. Question, who gave Satan that authority? The answer is God. God, in his sovereignty and infinite wisdom, considered it wise as part of the fall of humankind in Genesis 3 to give Satan huge power in this world. So Satan has power, but it's only power that has first been given to him by God. Uh, the obvious place you read about this is in the story of Job. Uh, the curtain is pulled back, this kind of divine encounter, and Satan comes to God and says, hey, there's this guy called Job, but he only worships you because you give him good stuff in his life. Like, cause him harm, and he won't worship you anymore. And so God gives Satan permission to cause harm, but he limits the permission that he gives. Satan has power, but it's limited. It's only that which has been already given him by God. However, this does not mean that Satan is not powerful, because he really is. His power might be limited, but he is very, very powerful. He is described in Luke 11, the passage that we just read, as a strong man fully armed. He has demons at his disposal. 
Demons have the power, amongst other things, to make people mute. That doesn't mean that every mute person has a demon, but clearly this one in Luke 11 does. Uh, demons are at home against desolation and destruction. Uh, we're told when an evil spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid, desolate places seeking rest. Maybe I can put it this way. If, if we look at the state of the world today, like there's a whole load of destruction, isn't there? Let alone what's happening in the Middle, Middle East right now. Slavery, trafficking, murder, racism, abuse, genocide, injustice, greed, war, terrorism, desolation, devastation, destruction. The biblical worldview is that this is not just bad people doing bad things. There are forces of evil at work behind those bad things. Now, we don't know precisely how it all plays out. Probably means we don't need to know that. But the Bible leaves us in no uncertain terms. Satan is real. He's a fallen angel. He has a kingdom, a supernatural kingdom of opposition against God, which is present on the earth. And while his authority is limited, he's very powerful. He is a strong man, fully armed. In other words, point one, guys, this stuff is very, very real. Number two, if we are not part of God's kingdom, or if I decide not to follow Jesus in an area of my life, I fall under the authority and power of Satan's kingdom. And my friends, this can happen to followers of Jesus as well. Jesus leaves no room for ambiguity here again. Verse 23, he's very provocative. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words, there is no neutral ground. Every part of our world is claimed and counterclaimed by these two kingdoms. Jesus, the devil, light, darkness. You know, it's increasingly fashionable today to say, I'm an agnostic. I don't know what I think. So many worldviews out there, I, I just don't know. And I think that comes from a good place. It comes from a place of humility. Jesus is very provocative here. I mean, firstly, the Bible says, actually, if you look at creation alone, we have no excuse like none of us can ever stand before God and say, you didn't give me enough info. The Bible says, just look at creation. But secondly, Jesus, again, very provocative. Like if you're not following me, you fall under the power of a different kind of kingdom. Now, just to be clear what this means, what this does not mean is that those who don't follow Jesus are all demonized. That's not what it means. But it does mean we fall under the power of a different kind of kingdom. The picture language that Jesus uses here is the devil is a strong man, fully armed, and this mute guy is likened to one of the possessions in his home. He's under the power of a different kind of kingdom. Uh, some of you will know of the great theologian Tom Wright, sometimes goes by the pen name N.T. Wright. Uh, one of the things he says is this, when humans sin, they hand to non-divine forces a power and authority those forces were never supposed to have. So guys, if you might be a follower of Jesus. This can happen to us too. Let me give you an example here. This is from the great theological work, Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, I'm going to guess most of you have seen this movie. Uh, in this movie, um, Robin Williams uh, has a relationship with his wife that breaks up, and his wife doesn't want him to have the access to his kids that he really wants. So he creates this fictitious nanny character, Mrs. Doubtfire, so he can be closer to his kids more often. But here's what's going on. In creating this lie... 
because Mrs. Doubtfire doesn't really exist. He falls under the power and authority of that lie. It affects where he can go, what he can wear. It affects his relationships, what he can say, what he can't say. Through creating this lie, he falls under the power of that lie. That's what happens to us when we decide not to follow Jesus. We come under the power of a different kingdom. To earth this in a different way, I imagine every single person here knows the weariness and fatigue of trying to convince other people that we are better than we really are. We put in so much work to create this illusion. Hey, I'm amazing. I'm not vulnerable. And in doing so, we fall under the power of that lie. I can't really be myself. Uh, it's not actually a coincidence that I'm using a, a metaphor about lies and lying. Because actually, um, the devil in the scripture is described as a liar and a deceiver more than anything else. He tells us stuff that's not true. And in believing this stuff, we fall under its power. A couple of verses here. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Acts 4, when Ananias and Sapphira end up lying to the church, Peter actually points to them and says, hey, Satan has deceived you. So in Satan's kingdom, we are told stuff that's not true, and in believing those lies, we fall under their power. At our church retreat uh, back in August, I did a seminar on spiritual warfare. I'm not going to repeat any of that, apart from this one bit. In my experience, there are four key lies that the devil throws at us. And it is inconceivable to me that there are not some people in this room right now who to some degree believe at least some of these lies. The four key lies of the devil are these. Number one, God is no good. Number two, you are no good. Number three, your future is no good. Number four, the church is no good. When we believe these lies, we fall under their power. When I was in my late teenagers and my early 20s, I well and truly swallowed the lie that I'm a load of rubbish. I'm a failure. I would look in the mirror and say things about myself that are not true. And in believing those lies, I fell under their power. I was a follower of Jesus, but I was under the power of these lies. It affected how I saw the future. It affected my levels of confidence. It affected my relationships with other people. I want to keep others at arm's length. I don't want anyone to see the vulnerability and brokenness that I feel inside. And I missed out on joy, opportunities, life in all its fullness, because I ended up believing these lies. This is what happens when we fall under the authority of Satan's kingdom. Put it differently, if everyone in this room believed God is utterly amazing, that we are good, called, chosen, purposed, gifted, righteous in his sight, that the future is exciting, that God has good works prepared in advance for us to do, and the church is God's hope for the world, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If we all believe that, I think our times together would look a bit different, don't you think? When I don't believe the truth, I am less excited about the future, less full of faith in God, cynical and negative about the church, down on myself, and it robs me of the life that I could be living. Number one, this stuff's real, guys. Satan's got a kingdom that exists on the earth right now. Number two, if I decide not to follow Jesus, I fall under the authority and power of his kingdom. Number three, here's what's interesting about Luke 11. In the kingdom of Satan, it is possible to get free of demons to a point 
but it actually leaves us much worse off, much more ensnared. Jesus' story is really interesting. He tells the story of a man who sweeps his life clean without the power of Jesus. In fact, if you read the story, did you notice the Pharisees have power to drive out demons? By who do your followers drive them out? Jesus says. In Satan's kingdom, there's power to get free of demons to a point. Uh, there's uh, a brilliant theologian called Lois Tverberg, picture of her coming up uh, on the screen, uh, makes the Bible really accessible in her writing. Uh, one of the things she says about this passage is what Luke is doing is he is deliberately drawing on a well-known story in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. And it's the moment when Moses is confronting Pharaoh. The people are in slavery. And Moses confronts Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. God wants the people to be free. And he does a number of tricks to persuade Pharaoh to let the people go. His staff becomes a snake. The Nile turns to blood. But do you remember that story, if you know it? For a while, Pharaoh's magicians can do the very same tricks that Moses can do. Their staffs become snakes as well. They can turn the water to blood. There is power in Satan's kingdom. To a point, you can get free of demons in Satan's kingdom. But here's what Jesus is saying. If you try and sweep your life clean, if you want breakthrough and freedom and salvation without the power of Jesus, you will end up much worse off. Seven times worse off, to be precise. Now, just to be clear, what this does not mean is that if I try and get free without God's power, I end up getting possessed by seven demons. Uh, that kind of language I don't think is helpful uh, in our culture. Uh, this is biblical speak. The number seven in the Bible is a sign of wholeness or completion. It's basically Bible language to say if you get free without God's power, you will be completely, ultimately, infinitely worse off. What's going on here? How do we apply this to our daily life? Well, if you look in our world today, there's a myriad of ways to find freedom from our demons. Religious change, self-improvement. But if we try and do it without Jesus, we'll end up much worse off. Uh, the, the late great author and speaker and former church leader, Tim Keller, um, he talks about this and he uses uh, an analogy I find quite helpful. He says, imagine a little boy who falls over, maybe in the playground, and badly grazes his knee and he's not broken his leg but he's badly bleeding, bleeding and he's just kind of panicking hyperventilating like can't calm himself he's kind of out of control screaming imagine then his dad comes to him and say oi kid man up grow up it's just a scratch like stop panicking do you want people to think you're weak be a man now here's the question can that kind of motivation help the little boy stop crying well, of course it can. His dad's words can help him sweep the house clean, tame his emotions, get some control. He's tidied the house up, but then what has happened? The little boy hasn't just stopped crying. He has given himself to a new master. The fear of appearing weak. Now imagine, Keller says, that this becomes a driving force in his life. Don't look weak. Weakness makes you look deficient. Cover up weakness at all costs. What's going to happen to this guy's relationships? What's going to happen to his marriage? What's going to happen to his friendships? You can't have intimacy if you never look weak. Yes, through the dad's motivation, the little boy has swept his life clean. He's stopped crying for a moment. But he's done so by giving himself to a new master, 
a worse one, and he's infinitely worse off as a result. In Jesus' kingdom, sorry, in Satan's kingdom, you can get free of stuff, but it leaves us much worse off. And I think probably all of us can relate to this in different ways. And here's the deal. If we're not careful, this can happen in the church. I remember when I first encountered uh, what was described to me as discipleship, ways to grow in following Jesus. And it basically just felt like a load of burdens were placed on my back. You've got to pray more. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to give your money. You've got to serve those in need. You've got to get involved in you know, projects in the local community. Make sure you're on time on a Sunday. Make sure you join a serving team. And basically, it led to one or two problems. Either A, I do it all, and then I, it just basically leads to pride. I'm, I'm so much a better Christian than you. I mean, I've prayed a hundred times this week. How many times have you prayed? Or B, I don't do it all, and then it leads to condemnation. Oh, I'm rubbish. I could never be as good a follower of Jesus as you. If we're not careful, even in the church, we can try and sweep the house clean. We can try and find freedom and salvation and breakthrough without the power of God. And this happens the whole time. There's a, a writer called A.P. Herbert. He was a knight of the realm. Uh, and uh, he says this, I, I like this quote. He says, thank heaven, I've given up smoking again. Gosh, I feel fit. Homicidal, but fit. A different man. Irritable, moody, depressed, rude, nervy perhaps, but my lungs are great. Anyone relate to this? Uh, one of the world's leading experts on uh, willpower and self-control is a guy by the name of Roy Baumeister. And he says, if you want to know about the human will, there's two things you need to know. Firstly, all of us have a finite amount of willpower and it gets depleted throughout every day. Secondly, it's the same reserves of willpower for everything that we do throughout a day. So let's just imagine a scenario that I decide I'm going to get fit in my own strength. I'm going to get healthy. I wake up in the morning and my body screams, oh, stay in bed. I think, no, I want to get healthy. I'm going to go for a jog. And I succeed, but my willpower goes down a bit. I get home and my body screams, I want a pan au chocolat. I want a croissant. I think, no, control. Let's have some muesli instead. And I succeed, but my willpower goes down. I head off to the office for work and there's a group of people gossiping about somebody else. I think, no, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't do that. And I succeed, but my willpower goes down some more. Someone's birthday in the office, they come around with donuts and chocolates. And I think, no, resist, get behind me, Satan. And I succeed, but my willpower goes down some more. What happens as I do this throughout a day, my willpower reserves get steadily depleted. I get home and end up crashing, binging on five pizzas, three boxes of chocolates, and a bottle of wine. To give an arbitrary example that's never happened to me in my life ever, okay? If we try and find salvation and breakthrough and freedom and life in all its fullness without the power of Jesus, we end up ultimately much worse off. Point one, guys, this stuff is real. Satan's got a kingdom. If we don't follow Jesus, we fall under the power and authority of that kingdom. That could be happening to some people in this room right now. Thirdly, if we try and get free without the power of God, we're going to be much worse off. And therefore, point four, and this is what I want to leave you with, we need to meet the stronger man. If we want freedom and salvation and breakthrough and the life that the scriptures promise us, we need to meet the stronger man. How do we meet the stronger man? Two things. Number one, we just ask. That's all we can do. There's nothing else we can do, really. Just ask. 
Like the guy in this passage, he's like a possession in the strong man's house. What can he do? Help! That's all we do. We just ask the stronger man for help. But secondly, there's one other thing we can do. Because our will isn't strong enough, we have to submit ourselves to the will of the stronger man. Not my will, but yours. And if there is any area of our lives where we are not following Jesus with all our hearts, I kind of want to call us as a community to say, I make a decision today to put that right. So I don't fall under the authority and power of a different kind of kingdom. If we really want breakthrough as a community, if we want God's power and life, we come to the stronger man and say, help us. We cannot do this in our own strength. We're not gifted enough. We're not strong enough. We're not wise enough. We're not godly enough. We don't pray enough. Help us. And while we're waiting for your help to come, stronger man, we make a decision, not my will, but yours. I will follow you. And here's the good news. He's got all the power that we need. He's got more than enough power that we need. If you remember the story of Moses confronting Pharaoh, staff becomes snake, Nile turns to blood, and the magicians of Pharaoh, they can repeat it for a while, but then comes plague number three, gnats, created from the dust of the earth, that swarm over the land. And it's at this point that Pharaoh's magicians turn to Pharaoh and say, we can't do this. And they say to him, this must be what? The finger of God. Lois de Verbeck says, that's why Luke uses this phrase. It's like, oh, you've done your Pharaoh's magician tricks. I'm now here to show you a much greater power. And of course, if you know the story, it's not just it stops at plague number three, then comes plague number four, then plague number five, then plague number six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. It's like the power of Satan's kingdom is utterly overwhelmed by the power of God's kingdom. That's the God that we're coming to. If we really want breakthrough, let's ask God for all the breakthrough that we need. Let's bring to him our deepest longings. He's not just got a little bit more power. He's got so much more power. There's an old story about a golfer called Arnold Palmer. Uh, he was like the Tiger Woods of his day. And the story goes that he was uh, playing golf in Saudi Arabia once. And the king of Saudi Arabia was watching and was like really impressed. And after his round of golf, um, the king of Saudi Arabia comes to Arnold Palmer and says, look, I, I love what you do. Thanks for uh, coming to our country. I'd love to give you a gift. Arnold Palmer is like, oh, no, no, please, please, no. I've got everything I could possibly need. You don't need to do that. And as Arnold Palmer is saying this, he could tell the king of Saudi Arabia is, is a bit offended. You can see his face falling. So he says, I, I tell you what you could do. You get me a nice golf club. That'll be a lovely memento of my time here in Saudi Arabia. The king looks happy. Off he goes. The following morning, the king of Saudi Arabia comes to meet Arnold Palmer. And he says, I've got your gift. And he hands over not a single golf club, but a 36-hole golf club, complete with restaurant, swimming pool, shopping precinct, acres of space. Moral of the story, when you come to a king, don't ask for small gifts. He has more power and more blessing than the king of Saudi Arabia. We need to come to him and ask him for that. You know, when we started this service, um, the first year was really hard. It felt really dark. It felt like we were touching 
Satan's kingdom in different ways. And I remember one night, it just felt so dark and so hard. It was about two in the morning and I couldn't sleep. And I went to the bottom of the stairs and I just cried for half an hour. I was like, God, I can't do this. And you know, in those moments, you kind of expect God to meet you in those places, you know, to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to give you a profound prophetic word, an angelic visitation. God did nothing. It was, it was almost like he was standing there saying, yep, you can't do it. But now you know you can't. Allow me to step in. And he's done some wonderful things since. Salvation and breakthrough and healing and growth. As we have started, so we must continue. You know, a few weeks ago, we sent out a survey because we're actually running out of space in this venue uh, and our Cantonese service across the road. I know there are loads way for half term this week. We got almost 50 young people doing Alpha in the Marquee right now. When they come back in here, I mean, that alone... Uh, you know, along with the people who are away, are like, I don't know what we're going to do. What a great problem to have. And so we sent out a survey saying, hey, what would you guys prefer to do? And like the, the heart behind the responses, we had over 150 responses, it's great. It's basically you guys are up for almost anything, which is fantastic. <laughs> Careful what you wish for, though, may I say. <laughs> but as I was praying about this talk this week, I, I kind of really felt God say this, what do you want? Like, if all your dreams in God came true, like, what would you want? If the king of Saudi Arabia can do that, like, what do you think I can do? Like, if you're looking at the local community or our city or our nation or our world and seeing the kingdom of Satan at work, if you want to see that overcome and overwhelmed by the power of God, what would you want me to do? I'm like, am I praying that way? I was like, no, I'm not. So it's like, daddy, we need a bigger venue. Daddy, we want to plant more services across London. Daddy, I want to see a thousand people come to faith in Jesus. Daddy, I want to see our young people like multiplied in terms of not only then coming to faith and experiencing God's power, but bringing their friends to faith in numbers. Daddy, I want you to open the floodgates of heaven and overwhelm us with your power and presence. And I want to call you to pray like that. He's got more power than the king of Saudi Arabia. Will you pray like that with me? But secondly, I want to charge you with this. That if God is going to come and bring his kingdom and overwhelm the kingdom of the enemy, I want to call you to live in the light of the kingdom that is coming. And if there is any area of your life where you know I'm not following Jesus, I want to call you today to put that right. I'm not going to do anything public. I'm not going to expose anyone. This is you and Jesus. But if there is any area of your life where you know I'm following Jesus here but not there, just let the Spirit of God do his work and say, okay, I need to put that right. I repent right now. Because I don't want to try and find God's power through my own strength. I want his power. You know, finances. Are you honoring God with your finances? When I don't honor God with my finances, I fall under the power of a different kingdom, of worry. Will there be enough? Is there enough provision? Make a decision. I'm putting him first. I trust his provision. Your thought life. Any areas of your thought life where you know I'm believing the lies of the enemy? I'm no good. The future's no good. The church is doomed. God's got not, not got enough power. Make a decision today. I'm going to think differently. Maybe I can invite the band up. Guys, number one, this stuff's real. Satan has a kingdom. He's a strong man fully armed. 
Number two, if I don't follow Jesus, I fall under the power of a different kind of kingdom. Number three, there's power in Satan's kingdom to find freedom to a point, but it just leaves me much worse off. It doesn't lead to a true exodus. It doesn't lead to true freedom. Number four, we need to encounter the stronger man. Well, I want to lead us in a moment of encountering the stronger man right now. Would you stand with me? Would that be okay? When you're in the presence of a king, don't ask for small gifts. If you were to ask God for anything right now, if you want to see God's kingdom come in power, if you want to see Pharaoh's magicians overwhelmed with what our God can do, ask him now, what do you long for? What's your heart? What's your dream in God? What do you dream for the church? What do you dream for your neighbors and your friends and your colleagues and your kids? When you pray, God, let your kingdom come. What do you imagine in God? Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit of God. We are empty-handed right now. We have nothing. We're not good enough or gifted enough or strong enough. But we declare that you are. We stand on the scripture now that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we make a decision today to trust in you. We want to make audacious requests of our God. We want to believe you for immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And as we stand before you now, we declare not our will but yours. We follow you. We don't want to find freedom through our own strength. We want all the power you've got. So come Holy Spirit, show us Jesus right now. Show us the stronger one. If anyone here is believing things that are not true, we break the power of those lies in Jesus' name and pray that you will lead us to a, a true exodus, freedom that we trust you are very, very good. We are called and chosen and forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand against the lies of the evil one. The future is good. We trust you for good things. You are a good God. And we are so excited about what you're going to do through the church. Meet us in this moment, I pray, stronger one. We look to you now. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's worship him together.